Holy Scripture to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In this chapter, Paul continues to defend his ministry to the Corinthians. Some had called into question his work, seeking to hurt the church. Paul defends his ministry, and then at the end, he gives a calling to the people to be separate from the wicked unbelievers around them. And that's where our sermon will be from this morning, verses 17 and 18 of this chapter. This is the word of God, 2 Corinthians 6. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straitened in us, but ye are straitened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said... I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And so far do we read God's holy and inspired word. The text is verses 17 and 18. I'll read them again. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, 
and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, Paul commands the Corinthian believers not to fellowship with wicked unbelievers. He says they may not fellowship with those wicked unbelievers because of the covenant. Let's see that. Verse 14, Paul says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He's using a picture there of oxen that are joined or yoked together. The idea of the picture is this. Saying, you Corinthian believers, don't be yoked or joined together with wicked unbelievers so that you're their friends or you're fellowshipping with them. Don't do that. And in the rest of verse 14 and verses 15 and 16, Paul asks several rhetorical questions that show that unbelievers and believers have absolutely nothing in common. Verse 14, he says, What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Verse 15, he continues, What communion hath light with darkness? Sorry, that's the end of verse 14. What communion hath light with darkness? And then verse 15, What concord or unity has Christ with Belial? And Belial's the devil. What unity does Christ have with the devil? Then about halfway through verse 16, Paul indicates that believers may not fellowship with unbelievers because of the covenant. Verse 16, we read that conjunction four about halfway through, and that means because. So don't fellowship with unbelievers because ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Paul says, you Corinthian believers, you are the temple of the living God. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. Paul goes on to say, you're covenant friends with God. He uses the words of the covenant formula in verse 16. I will, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We call those words the covenant formula because God used them, those same words, when he established the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 7. He said to Abraham, I'll be your God, and you will be my people. And those words are used to describe God's covenant relationship with his people throughout the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33, same words there. So Paul uses the words of the covenant formula in verse 16 to tell the people, believers in Corinth, he says, you're God's covenant friends. Now be, do not be fellowshipping with wicked unbelievers. You're on God's side, not theirs. And he says the same thing to us this morning. 
we believers are God's covenant friends today. We are to live like it. Living on God's side against the side of the wicked unbelievers. Verses 17 and 18, then, the text. They're the conclusion of this section in which Paul calls the church to flee fellowship with unbelievers. Verse 17 begins with a conjunction, wherefore. And that word is an old English word that means therefore. And it indicates that these verses are going to give us the conclusion of the matter. And the conclusion of the text is even stronger than what's come before. The conclusion of the text is we must actively separate from the unbelieving wicked and touch no unclean thing. Don't even touch it. Not one unclean thing. So let's come to a a better understanding this morning of this covenant demand. And may we be strengthened through the word to live antithetically to the glory of the God who is so good to us. The glory of the God who is our friend. Let's consider the text under the theme called the separate, call to separate first the covenantal basis, second the divine command, and third the sure promise. Call to separate, we begin with the covenantal basis. The basis for the command to separate from the unbelieving wicked is God's covenant with us. The covenant spoken of again in verse 16. The verse right before our text. What is that covenant? We have to know what the covenant is if we're going to see that this is the basis for God commanding us to live separate from the world. What is this covenant? Why is it such a big deal? Why is it so wonderful? The covenant is the relationship of friendship established by God with his people through Jesus Christ. To understand that covenant that God has with us, know that he has a covenant within himself within his own Trinitarian being. There are three persons in the Trinity, kids, you know that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that those three persons have a covenant relationship. The very word covenant in the Old Testament means bond. And that indicates that the covenant is a relationship of friendship. It's a bond, it's a friendship. That God has that within himself is proved by 1 John 4, verse 8. It says God is love. Think about it. God is love. What does that mean? That God is love means he's love within himself. He has friendship and love within his own Trinitarian being. Each of the persons of the Trinity love one another, dwell in unity together, and peace with one another. There's love and friendship there. The three persons perfectly know one another as friends know each other. The three persons perfectly communicate together. We know friends talk. Well, 
The three persons communicate. Genesis 1 verse 26 tells us that God spoke within himself when he made man in his own image. The three persons delight in one another. At Jesus' baptism, God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There's friendship within the Godhead. And what's amazing, so amazing, that God, this great God, graciously brings us into that friendship He has within Himself. That's the covenant of grace. Again, the full definition of that is the relationship of friendship that God establishes with His people through Jesus Christ. And let's run through that definition so we get it clearly. We see how great the covenant is. First, the covenant is a relationship of friendship. It's not an agreement or contract as some teach that it is today. It's not some cold contract between business partners. No, the words of the covenant formula show that the covenant is a relationship of love and friendship. Remember, God uses the covenant formula in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 6. He says, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's the language of love, not a cold contract. I'm your God, you're my people. It reminds us of how we might talk about our wife if we want to differentiate her from somebody else that has the same first name. So, for instance, I would say, that's my Kelsey. She is mine, I am hers. That's what God says about his covenant people. It's a relationship of friendship and love. The covenant is a relationship of friendship established by God. So we don't come to him first and make this relationship. No, God said to Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 7, he said, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee. He didn't say to Abraham, Abraham, please, please, please be my friend. Please agree to it. Oh, he said, Abraham, you're my friend. God makes the covenant. And he establishes his covenant friendship with his people. God does not make a covenant friendship with every man head for head. Genesis 17, verse 7 says, The covenant promise was made to Abraham and his seed, or his children, Well, who's Abraham's seed? That's a key question. We want to know who's in the covenant. Who's Abraham's seed? Galatians 3, verse 29, a New Testament passage, shows us. Galatians 3, verse 29 says, If ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So, those who belong to Christ, those for whom he died, the elect, they are Abraham's seed. They are in the covenant. 2 Corinthians 6 shows agreement with that. It speaks of the believers, people of the church, the elect, being in God's covenant. And how the wicked unbelievers are not. They're not friends with God. They're with the devil. 
verse 15. The covenant is then is a relationship of friendship established by God with his people. Now this, through Christ or based on Christ's work, we cannot be friends with the holy God who hates sin without Jesus Christ. We would have to be separated from the holy God if left to self. But Jesus Christ came and he paid for all the sins of his people. And so we have the right to dwell with the holy God. Christ took away our sins. If someone ever asks you how you can be friends with the holy God, such a a great God, the answer is simply because of Christ. That's why. So think of how wonderful our God is this morning. He sent his only begotten son here to the sin-cursed earth to suffer and to die so that we might be his friends. That's amazing love. Men need us for anything. He sent his son so that we might Enjoy the friendship he has within himself. Praise God. Now an essential aspect of this covenant is the antithesis. The antithesis, which is a life that's opposed to what God opposes. That's an essential aspect of the covenant, the antithesis. At the very beginning, God called his covenant friend Adam to live the antithetical life, a life in which he opposed what God's opposed to. In paradise, God gave Adam a command in Genesis 2, verse 15, to dress and keep the garden. He's supposed to take care of it to the glory of God. In verses 16 and 17 of Genesis 2, God then said this, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That was an antithetical command that God gave to his friend Adam at the beginning. Adam was to say yes to what God says is good, tree of life. Adam was to say no to what God says is bad, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's an antithetical demand. Stand opposed or stand against to what God is against. That antithetical life was the way that God determined his covenant friend Adam would especially glorify him. God could simply have not created the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he did create it. And he created it because he is especially glorified when his friends say yes to the good, but also no to the bad. That's how God determined love for him is especially revealed. One not only chooses for the right, but against the wrong. 
That one shows he's especially in line with God, his friend. He's going to be against what God is against. That greatly glorifies God. And that idea makes sense to us in our earthly friendships too. When, when we have a close friend, that friend shows they're for us and that they love us when they stand for what we stand for. But they, they show that, that love and friendship, especially when they stand, what, stand against what we're against. They're totally in line with us. Not only for what we're for, but against what we're against. That's how God determined Adam's friendship would be with him way at the beginning. The antithetical life was an essential aspect of the covenant. And after the fall, that continues. God called his covenant friend to live antithetically in the garden, but the antithesis was even more pronounced after the fall. In Genesis 3, verse 15, God said to Satan in the presence of Adam and Eve, he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There would be two different peoples then on the earth going forward. There would be the seed of the woman, which is Christ and his people. They'd be on one side. On the other side, there'd be the seed of the serpent, the devil and his people. And God said there'd be enmity between these two sides. Enmity means hatred. So God is saying in Genesis 3, verse 15, that the woman and her seed, Christ and his people, would be hostile towards the devil and his seed. That continues on today. That continued to the time of the Corinthian church. They, Corinthian church, and we today, are actively now to stand on God's side. We, God's covenant friends, are to live the antithetical life. As God's friends, opposed to what he is opposed to. Verse 17, that's why verse 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. There's still a them today. It's not just God's people, Christ and his people on the earth. There's still a them to come out from and to separate from today. And there was at the time of the Corinthians too. The them in verse 17, it refers back to verse 14. And it's talking about wicked unbelievers. Come out from among them. An unbeliever is someone who does not believe in Jesus for all their salvation. And that unbeliever walks in unrighteousness. Verse 14 says that they live in unrighteousness or sin. They're living in unrepentance. And these wicked unbelievers, they're known as the world in Scripture, and we often refer to them as that way, that way as well. And these wicked unbelievers were all around the Corinthians. And they are all around us 
today. Just think about Corinth for a moment and uh, where they lived and what it was like. Corinth, according to verse 16, was a wicked city. There were idols there. People worshipped idols. And if you look at the history books, Corinth at the time of Paul especially worshipped the idol Aphrodite, that goddess, Greek goddess, the goddess of love and beauty and pleasure. They worshipped her to such a degree that they had a temple there that people would come to from miles around. And that temple had over a thousand prostitutes. Corinth was known as Sin City, partly because of that. That was Corinth. Corinth was Babylon. In verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 6, Paul is quoting Isaiah 52, verse 11. In Isaiah 52, verse 11, Isaiah was speaking to the Jews that were in captivity in Babylon. And Isaiah says in Isaiah 52, says, Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence. Touch no unclean thing. Go ye out of the midst of her. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. By quoting Isaiah 52, verse 11 in our text, Paul is implying that Corinth, the city these believers were in, was like Babylon. And we know from Scripture that Babylon was really a type of the anti-Christian kingdom. In fact, in Revelation, verse chapter 18, the anti-Christian kingdom is called Babylon. Like Babylon was during Daniel's day, Corinth didn't take out the sword right away and just start beating on the believers there. Instead, Corinth was like Babylon in the sense that they tried to bring the people that were part of the church, make them part of their culture, and bring them to enjoy the pleasures of sin. said, look at our life. Look at what we're doing. It's so fun. It's so pleasing to us. Join us. Be like us. Understanding Corinth and how it was a picture of Babylon, how it was like Babylon, it, it helps us see that we're really in the same situation today. We live in Babylon today, a, a world where people seek their own sinful pleasures all around us. So many people today, like they did in Corinth, walk openly in sexual sin, living together before marriage, doing what they please before marriage. And fornication is even portrayed openly on the television screen, on the computer. It's portrayed, too, as something exciting, something fun, something pleasurable. Today, men make and listen to and, and dance to music that has corrupt, filthy language, language that you would never listen to if Jesus Christ was sitting right next to you physically at that moment. Corrupt language presents, too, not just the language, but music that presents an ungodly worldview, a wrong view of success, a wrong view of money, a wrong view of women. A wrong view of so many things. Not a biblical view at all. 
And rather than worshiping Jehovah on the Lord's Day, so many today on this Lord's Day do whatever they please. Go out really satisfying their own desires, doing what they want, instead of joining with God's people to praise Him as He commands. Now, when considering who unbelievers are today, keep in mind that 65% of Americans today call themselves Christians. But many of them walk in sin. Walk in some of the sins we talked about or others, showing that they don't truly believe in Jesus Christ, truly know Him. They're walking in unrepentance. God calls His covenant people to come out from among them and be separate as His covenant people. Verse 17 says, be ye separate, saith the Lord. And that phrase, saith the Lord, emphasizes God's right to give us this command. He's Lord. He's our Lord. He's our ruler. He's, he's bought us. Jesus Christ went to the cross and bought us with his precious blood so that we are now in the covenant based on that work. Now he says... Be separate from the world to my glory, the glory of me, your covenant God. That's the covenantal basis. I'm your covenant father and friend. Now, there's this command. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Let's understand exactly what that divine command means. Come out from among them, God says. The them again is the wicked unbelievers. Come out from among them. Paul's implying that these Corinthians used to live among these unbelievers. Live with them as their friends and their fellowship. And he's now saying, come out. Depart from them. And he adds, be ye separate. And that term, be ye separate, that term separate has this idea in the original language that you draw a line and you withdraw from it. Withdraw from wicked unbelievers, their friendship, their lifestyle. Withdraw from it. Now, understand that, more clearly yet, understand that God is not calling us here in the text to a physical separation from the world. That's been tried. Already in the third century, there were certain Christians known as hermits. What they would do is go to the desert to live a life of total seclusion from all their people and just to live in prayer. And then a little bit after that, the Roman Catholic Church began to have people known as monks who would go into monasteries and live a life where they were separate from others and simply, separate from others physically, simply pray and read God's word, attend to that word. Today, there's the Amish, Mennonites that set up their own communities to flee the world. But whenever groups, whenever groups separate physically from all others, they fail at separating from the, the world's sins and from ungodliness. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons for it is that a church that separates physically 
most of the time has unbelievers in it within that church on this earth. Another reason that they fail is that the, the ones who separate physically, they have ungodliness in them too, a sinful nature. They carry that sinful nature wherever they go. So God doesn't demand in the word, does not call us to physical separation. He even says this in his word. In Philippians 2, verse 15, says to the church, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Philippians 2, verse 15, among other passages, shows that it's God's purpose that the light stands in contrast to the darkness. God is especially glorified when his people live in the midst of the world, shining as a light among that darkness. So, it is wrong to live in that seclusion apart from the world. We're to live in it, showing forth light. What God is calling us to do in this text, 2 Corinthians 6, verses 17 and 18, he's calling us to separate spiritually from the world. Separate spiritually. And that begins in the heart. We must have a love for God and a hatred for the world and their sins. That's really what David had, according to Psalm 139, verses 19 through 21. David cried this. He said, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee, un- they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. David, he loved the Lord as covenant God. It's on his side, and thus he hated the world. Hated their sins. We, God's covenant friends today, must have that same revulsion for the world and their sins. The world stands totally opposed to God. Sometimes we don't see that. Sometimes we don't, we aren't thinking of that. But it's the truth. The people of the world are determined to enjoy life to the fullest and enjoy the pleasures of sin. And thus they hate God and his word, which speaks against those sins. They want to stamp out the truth of God's word and establish really a a kingdom of man for man's glory. They're entirely opposed to God. And so we, God's friends, we must hate the world and their sins in our hearts and love God and his ways, seeking his glory. We are to hate the world's wicked walk of life and then live spiritually separate from them. So living in the world, yes, live in the world. But we separate ourselves from their sins and their wicked lifestyle. We don't join in that. We flee from it. Now that calling to separate spiritually has physical implications. Coming out from among the wicked world, that's what God's word says. 
coming out from among the wicked world means that we do not hang around with wicked unbelievers. We do not make friendships with them. We may not. Now, we do, and we must have, in many cases, a working agreement with people in the world. We do, and we must talk to people of the world, and we even offer them, maybe a neighbor that lives next to us, we offer to help them with, with things, certainly. But we must always do that. We must talk to them and seek to help them, always with the goal of helping them spiritually, sharing with them the gospel, who Christ is to us. The intent of our talk with them is important. What's your goal? And it must be that you help them spiritually. And there's no better way to help them, really, than that. But we may not be friends with them in the sense that we speak our support and encouragement to them as they're walking in sin or are giving likes to something on Facebook or Instagram, to things that are not proper and in line with God's word. We don't support that. And we may not be friends with them in the sense that we are hanging around with them and going out with them to, to this entertainment or that entertainment, joining them in their activities. Verse 17, come out from among them. It means we hang around with, we do not hang around with certain people and we don't go to their the world's schools either where they're anti-Christian worldview is going to be taught to our children. And we do not go to certain places either. Coming out from among them means we don't go to places where we are going to hear things and view things that are not glorifying to God. We come out from that. We separate. We draw the line and withdraw from that. Verse 17 adds to that command. It says, come out from among them and be separate. And then at the end, and touch not the unclean thing. That command is a quote from Isaiah 52, verse 11. And that's where God commanded the Jews in the Old Testament not to touch unclean things. In the Old Testament, the Jews were forbidden to touch certain things. Because those things, God said, would make them unclean. So in Numbers 19, verse 11, God said to the Jews that they may not touch a dead body. In Leviticus 5, verse 3, God says that they may not touch the leper. They're unclean. If they touch those things, they will become unclean. And then they had to be separated from temple worship for a time. Touching these things and becoming ceremonially unclean was a picture of becoming morally unclean. So now Paul quotes Isaiah 52 verse 11 to the Corinthians in his day. And this applies to us. We may not touch unclean things in a spiritual sense. What's an unclean thing today? Well, it's anything that's dirty with sin. Anything that's corrupt with sin. And the world has made many things corrupt with sin. Things that are not bad of themselves, but they make them corrupt. 
Music and songs, for instance. Music and songs themselves are a good gift, but the world takes music and corrupts it. Movement to music is not bad of itself, but the world takes that and corrupts it with their dance that leads to lust. We know that. Moving pictures on a screen can be good, but the world takes that and corrupts it so that they have moving pictures on a screen that is is wicked, unclean, filth, and leads to more sin. And when we touch those things, and the the sense that we become involved with them, listening to those things, watching those things, when we do that, we become defiled. That makes sense. When we're listening to those things, our minds are filled with those ideas. We start to speak with the language that they speak with. That affects our worship during the week. That affects our worship on the Sabbath day. Like becoming unclean affected the Jews in their worship. Becoming unclean and listening to that affects our worship on the Lord's day. You think of what it would be like go to the rock concert on Saturday night and you're dancing to those songs. Then you come into church on Sunday and you're going to focus on God and His holiness and what His Son has done. Focus won't be there. So God's command to us is do not touch the unclean thing. Don't go to places where you will be involved with unclean Things. Don't make friends with those who are going to bring unclean things into your life. And parents, if you see that happening in your child's life, you have to talk to your kids about that. Not an easy conversation, but you have to talk to them. And show them the relationship with that friend has to change. Don't bring uncleanness into your home through the television, through, the, through your phone, through your computer. And don't try to get as close as you can to the unclean thing and then say, well, what's wrong with it? Right? That can be our response to this today. We hear this and we say, well, well, what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that? That's not really the question to ask. That's a wrong direction. It leads to touching unclean things. It leads to defilement. Instead of asking always, what's wrong with it? Ask, what's right with it? What about this glorifies God? How does this help me glorify God? And if it doesn't, put it away. Withdraw from it. Come out from among them and be separate. You could also ask yourself, would I be listening to this and watching this or hanging around with this group if Jesus was standing right next to me? Ask that. And this week, truly evaluate then your music. Truly evaluate what you're doing with the television and your computer and your phone and and your friends and what you do with your friends. Evaluate all of that. And if there's any unclean thing, separate from it. Don't touch it. And that calling to separate, this calling must come to us today because Babylon is so attractive to us. We each have a sinful nature, so it's attractive to every one of us. Joining with the world in friendship often looks good, and that happens already when we're very young. When we're younger, playing with with children that are 
are worldly and, and going into their homes, that can look like a, a good thing to do to kids because you can maybe do things at their house that you can't do at your own house. Watch and listen to things you wouldn't be allowed to anywhere else. In our teenage years, and adult years, the same applies. And maybe additionally, there's the, the added thing that they're physically attractive. It's especially tempting to join with the world in friendship, and maybe we don't find ourselves fitting in with people at church, or we're having a difficult time finding someone to date in church, and there's somebody that we work with that shows interest in us. Don't really have much to do at all with church, but they're interested in us. It can be very tempting, we know that, to join with them. Watching Babylon shows and listening to their music, that too, so tempting for us. I was this past week reading a, a blog by popular Christian blogger Tim Challies, and he was talking about popular television shows. And he wrote that professing Christians that he knows and he was with for, for a weekend, they were talking about watching this show in the, maybe in the past called Stranger Things. And he writes of, of how he heard them all talking about it and how good it was, so he turned it on to see what it was like. And he says that in the episode that, or whatever it is that he saw, he he writes this about it. I turned it off because an 18-year-old girl, someone's daughter, someone's future wife, was disrobing and simulating fornication with her boyfriend on the screen. Christians, professing Christians, watch that. That reminds us that's a temptation for us to watch too. A temptation, something that we might think pleasing to the eyes, entertaining. We can easily make excuses about all that too, about the television shows that are corrupt today, the music that's corrupt. We can so quickly make an excuse and say, well, my parents watch some of those things and listen to the music of their day and they turned out all right. Or there's a little bit of good in that. There's a little bit of good in that song or that show. Excuse of common grace, really. Don't make excuses. It's the word of God right here. Come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. And that command, touch not the unclean thing, it's actually in the present tense, which in the original language indicates continuous action. The idea being, this is something we are to continue to do and have to continue to be warned about because it's a temptation for us to go along with Babylon every day for the rest of our life, it will be a temptation till we die. Reject the wrong to the glory of God, to the glory of the one who has made you his friend for Jesus' sake. 
After issuing this command to be separate, our covenant God gives a wonderful promise. A wonderful and sure promise. What's the promise? Well, first at the end of verse 18, God says to those who separate, says, I will receive you. That word receive there in verse 17 has the idea of kindly welcoming someone into your arms and treating them with favor. God says to those who separate, I will receive you. And then in verse 18, he adds, I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What's the idea there? The idea is that separating from the world is the way in which we enjoy God's family fellowship and favor. Separating from the world and its sins is, is not a condition that we must fulfill in order to gain this family fellowship in favor of God. It's not a condition. We're already in his family based on Christ's work. Remember 2 Corinthians 6 and the, the logic that's brought to us in this chapter. In verse 16, so the verse before our text... God spoke to the believers in Corinth and said that they're his friends. I dwell in you. I walk with you. You're my people. I'm your God. They were his covenant friends based on Christ's work. God says that that they, who were in his covenant family then, they were now to live in separation. Verse 17. In gratitude. So separating from the world, according to this text, is not a condition we fulfill in order to get into Jehovah's covenant. We're already in it. What the text is teaching is that separating from the world is the way in which we enjoy that covenant life and closeness with the Lord. Those who don't separate from the world and their sins... They do not enjoy Jehovah's nearness and family fellowship as they're walking in that way. That makes sense. When someone's walking with the world on their side, not separating, joining with them, they're associating with the devil. As they're living like the devil and walking in that way, they're not enjoying closeness with the Lord? Of course not. And that's a miserable way. And young people, the sooner you understand that, the better. That's a miserable way. Those who continue in that way too are showing that they never, those who continue in that way unto death, they show they were never truly God's friends. But as we separate from the world in gratitude for God's friendship, thinking on Jesus Christ, we do enjoy his family fellowship and favor. We who separate from the world by God's powerful work in our heart, powerful work of our friend within us, we will enjoy God's favor and glory too. That's truly a wonderful thing to consider. We, we're weak sinners. We deserve absolutely nothing from God. But God's our friend, and he forgives our sins for Jesus' sake, forgives those failures to separate from the world. And he does strengthen us as our friend, to separate from the world and their sins more and more. He sanctifies. 
As we do so, we lowly people, lowly people, enjoy God, the almighty God's wonderful friendship and fellowship he has in himself. And that's such a joyful way, walking with the Lord in his ways, such a joyful way. Now this promise that we who separate will enjoy covenant family life with the Lord, that's a promise and a sure promise because it's given by the Lord Almighty. That's verse 18. We read, I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The one who speaks this promise is Almighty. He's really the only power. The one who speaks this is the Lord, meaning that he has has control over everything. And therefore, the wonderful promise he gives here to us is certain to come to pass. Absolutely certain. Nothing can keep him from bringing us who separate by his power to enjoy his blessed family fellowship. And so may that promise encourage you. And the word today strengthen you to live in spiritual separation from the world and their sins. Do that this week to the glory of your great God. Covenant God. And pray to him for strength. He is pleased to provide that strength to his friends. Be in prayer about this. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father which art in heaven, Lord, we are thankful for thy covenant friendship. What a wonder that is that we are thy friends. May we walk, Lord, in thy ways against the ways of the world by thy power. Lord, lead us, thy friends, in thy ways. We need thee. Forgive all of our failures in the blood of Jesus. He's our only hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.